Welcome to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on News Radio 680 WPTF. And this show is made possible through the support of Transitions Life Care. I am Jason Kong and representing Transitions Life Care, Cooper Linton. Good evening to you, sir. Good evening, Jason. Glad to be here. Good, good, good. And we've got Nicole Bruno with Transitions Guiding Lights. Good evening, Nicole. Good evening. I'm glad I'm here. But you know, I know you just celebrated a one-year birthday in your house. Oh, yes. Not me. Although I, <laughs> although I act, act like act it. You do act that way a lot. Although but... I act like it. it. It wasn't me. It was my son. Ooh. And it, it, it went was off. Was it great? It went off without a hitch. He was a little tired at the end, a little cranky, but uh, everyone was happy. Good pictures. Well, that's good. You it have to share. Good. I will. I will. After the show. <laughs> awesome. Um, I don't think it would go great on the radio of me just showing pictures no. to you. But, uh, <laughs> we would have fun, but everyone else, I think, would get a little upset. We can make ooh and an awing sound. Okay, all right. We can, we can try and provide a little we'll, bit. We'll, of... we'll try that at the end of the okay. show, if we have time. But uh, let, let's get into some serious stuff here, Cooper, because... You know, we, we always talk about caregivers and, and that role. And, you know, a, a big point of emphasis is preparation. And I know you're kind of your experience with this and so many other people is that a lot of times, you know, there's you don't get advance notice when you're put into a caregiving role. Uh, most of the time, it just kind of happens. No, we uh, we don't usually get a heads up or at least sometimes what happens is we ignore the heads up. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we think that. Um, the caregiving issues sneak up on us. But in reality, we know that 11 out of 12 people are going to age with some sort of chronic condition. So there's times something surprises us. But most of the time, it's things we can plan for. And if we plan in advance, we can avoid some of the crises that tend to emerge in the caregiver experience. One of those issues that seems very pervasive and somewhat confusing for people is the concept of assisted living, or in, in what in North Carolina we call adult care homes. And so today, uh, we have two guests who are from two different assisted living facilities, and they're going to actually help us understand the differences uh, between facilities, but also understand really what is assisted living in North Carolina and how can caregivers prepare. So joining us this evening, we have Matt Cross. He's the executive director of Spring Arbor of Cary. Uh, obviously located in Cary, North Carolina. And we also have Lisa Ridge, who is the healthcare director with Cambridge Hills Assisted Living out of Pittsburgh. So Matt and Lisa, welcome to the show tonight. Oh, thank you. I'm glad to be here. As am I. Thank, thank you very much. Well, can we start off with, because you, you both are, are representing different types of assisted living. Can you help us with your own definitions of what is assisted living. Can we just start with something as simple as that? Sure. Um, I re- represent Spring Arbor. It's the latest um, community that just opened in Cary. We have both assisted living and some memory care. Our assisted living is for people that need assistance, med reminders, help with ADLs. Uh, now, what's an ADL? So those are activities of daily living which is um, eating, ambulation, dressing, bathing, um, and transfers. So ADLs are really TIGs. Could be. TITGs, things I take for granted. Correct. You're very correct. So, I mean, we, when we think about it, we, we, these are things that most of us do on a routine basis. And it isn't until we are unable to do one of them or multiple ones that suddenly we're realizing there's a bit of a crisis in how we just handle life. That is correct. And sometimes people start off with a small imbalance, which leads to falls, falls risk, 
needing help with, with bathing, dressing. So we have to look at their entire picture to see what services we can provide for them. So, you know, Matt, I'm, uh, you know, if I'm, I'm a listener listening at home tonight and I'm hearing about this, I might be thinking about a loved one in my mm-hmm. life that may be showing that they may need some assistance in some of these things. How do I know when it's the right time to start thinking about it? And how do I know perhaps, you know, this would be a good fit for a loved one? What do we, what do we, what do we look for? So I suggest to families a couple things. Mm-hmm. One is start doing your homework ahead of time. So start going out and in visiting assisted livings, see what their information is. Um, talk to specialists. We're so geared to do all this in advance, though, aren't we, as, oh, yeah. as human no, beings? I, I always get people in crisis <laughs> when come in. But, wouldn't, wouldn't it be nice? It would be nice. Um, talk with your doctors. Talk with the specialists. Maybe you have to go to a neurologist. Maybe somebody has Parkinson's or maybe somebody has a, um, a gait impairment. Work with PT, physical therapy, occupational therapy, and get adaptive equipment, such as a walker, maybe a quad cane. Um, start people working with those things. Mm-hmm. My other suggestion is start looking at your loved one's finances. So often people come to me and they say, I say, what are the finances like? And they have not a clue. Mm-hmm. Now, what I do suggest to people is that there's a pension involved. Go to the pension holder and see if there's nursing home insurance. The term long-term care insurance didn't come about until the 90s. Mm-hmm. The people we serve today were making their money in the 50s and 60s and 70s where nursing home insurance was on the pensions for pennies on a dollar. That will cover people today. Most teachers in North Carolina had that tied to their pension, just for an example. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. So, you know, one of the things that, you know, you talk about, and we were just joking about the fact that people don't do things in advance. Mm. And I know at Transitions Guiding Lights, and I know both you and Lisa deal with this all the time at your assisted living communities, there are some major pitfalls in doing these things in a crisis. I mean, what, first of all, you may not have the choice that, that, you, that you wanted to have because there just may not be in an opening somewhere that, that is the ideal place for your loved one. What are some of the other pitfalls? That is about? correct. Oftentimes, too, um, coming out of a hospital situation, families don't understand the difference between mom's been in for two days or mom's had three nights qualifying stay. Now, one will discharge you to an assisted living arena. One will discharge you to the rehab arena. Okay, And then if you're in rehab, there's 20 days of which are very key um, to make sure that mom or dad are, or your loved one is gaining ground and be able to do the therapies. Um, during all this time, research on where you want mom or dad to be is so critical. Closeness of proximity to the family, what things the community will do or not do, what they will accept or not accept are some of the key factors. I think sometimes people make an assumption that once we get mom and dad out of the facility and, and home, we'll be able to do everything. And one of the points we often make with families is if you needed 24-hour nursing care yesterday, you're probably going to need some level of support around the clock today. And you can't just assume that because now you're back in your home, everything is like it used to be. 
So Lisa, so what are some of the things that you wish families would consider before you meet them for the first time? Oh, that's a hard question. There's so much to look at. Um, Backing up to what Matt said, you know, you were asking about when um, people could potentially be admitted to assisted living or when you think you know that they might need help. Number one, I would say, you know, you have to start looking. He said, look at finances, but some people, because they live in a place for 50 some odd years, they have a routine. And when they start changing that routine, when they start paying their bills or when they stop eating or when they can't start uh, or they can't fix their meals anymore. You start to see weight loss. Those are things also that you're going to look at to consider possibly moving someone into assisted living. So I think, you know, if you have the question in your mind that mom or dad might need assisted living, that's probably the right time to start to look. Yeah, absolutely. Our guests this evening are Matt Cross. He's the executive director of Spring Arbor of Cary and Lisa Ridge, who's the healthcare director at Cambridge Hills Assisted Living in Pittsburgh. We will continue our conversation on assisted living. We'll get into more about what you need to know about it, what it is, what it isn't. In just a bit, you're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care on News Radio 680 WPTF. You are listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. You can find more about them at transitionslifecare.org. I am Jason Kong, Nicole Bruno, and Cooper Linton alongside me. In the studio this evening, we have Lisa Ridge. She's the healthcare director at Cambridge Hills Assisted Living in Pittsburgh. We're also talking with Matt Cross. He's the executive director at Spring Arbor of Cary and Cooper. We've, uh, we're talking all about assisted living tonight. And uh, and the importance of preparation, because as, as we've said so many times before, um, and Matt kind of alluded to this earlier, that uh, most people who show up, uh, you know, for information are, are kind of in crisis mode. Well, unfortunately, that's that's what happens. And sometimes it's an unavoidable crisis. Someone's doing well independently, and then the next day they are not. And there's that's usually there's a hospital stay. There may be a skilled nursing facility, rehab stay after that. But then there's the what next. And you know, we were just talking with Lisa about what are some of the things you wish families knew. And, and part of it was recognizing signs early on, Lisa. But what what else do you wish families knew before they showed up at, at your doorstep with um, anxiety? Let's put it that way. So <clears throat> we try to make our facility someone's home. We want them to be um, decorate the room so it looks like home. We we want them to be comfortable. I I think that um, you have to understand that assisted livings are not usually staffed with round the clock nurses. They are not even required to have a nurse on site. They just have to have a consultant nurse. So you're saying, and I, I just want to clarify this for our audience that in most assisted livings or in all assisted livings in North Carolina, there's not a requirement that there's going to be a nurse in that building. That is correct. And that's a distinct difference from a skilled nursing facility, which is required to have one. Around the clock, yes. They are required to have nurses around the clock, yes. I think sometimes people get those two settings very confused. Absolutely, they do. So, for an example, someone falls, your loved one falls at home, breaks their hip ends up in the hospital, they do hip replacement surgery. Um, 
if they have that three day, Matt talked about the three day qualifying state, you have to be in the hospital 72 hours. And then the best, I would say the best scenario is they transition to a skilled nursing facility where they can get um, five to six days of physical therapy, occupational therapy, speech therapy if needed, and nursing. Um, Usually that's a 20 day stay. Medicare has... They pay 100% for the first 20 days, and then after that, it's an 80-20 split between Medicare and private insurance or out-of-pocket. Usually around that 20 days, um, families are looking to move someone out of the skilled nursing facility, especially if they have to pay that private pay um, 20% because that can be very expensive. They look at assisted livings. Assisted livings cannot provide the same amount of physical therapy, occupational therapy as a skilled nursing facility, but we do have home health agencies and some actually have their own therapy units in the building and then they continue with therapy. It's just not as extensive in five, six days. It might be two to three days per per discipline. So Lisa, you said that, um, you know, and I think this is an important distinction that the folks that are providing care to the individuals who live in assisted living aren't necessarily nurses. Who is providing that hands-on care? So um, medication aides are trained um, and they have to take a state test and they are the ones that um, dispense medications. Then we have certified nursing assistants that are providing the assisted, um, the ADLs, the you know, the bathing, the um, dressing, the feeding, et cetera. Um, and so that is usually, that's who a lot of facilities have in their buildings. So one important distinction that Cooper and I were sort of making off air is that you look at one assisted living community, you're, you've looked at one assisted living community, and what we've seen in our experience throughout the Triangle area and beyond is that there are huge, vast differences in what one assisted living community will provide over another. Some seem to provide a lot of hands-on care mm-hmm. while others are limited their scope to, you know, less frail older adults. And so how does that happen? How, you know, why does, do either of you know why there's such a huge difference between organizations from a regulatory perspective and beyond? I, I don't know. I ask myself that same question all the time because we at Cambridge Hills, we have a high acuity. Um, we are not limited to whether or not they are can use a wheelchair, walker, um, two-person lift. We do not have Hoyer lifts, but um, we generally carry a high acuity in our building. And I don't know how that evolved, but it is just what we allow to come into our building. And we at Spring Arbor, um, each one of our communities is a little bit different. So each one of our communities may set the standard of care that we're going to be giving to the individuals. It has people age in place, their needs change. You know, you might bring somebody in today who's walking with a walker, but two years from now, you may need a Hoyer lift. So if if they're aging in place, then the community will then bring in the equipment, train the staff, and move forward um, with those individuals. Sometimes we can't. Sometimes we have to say, that is a skilled need, or we're not able to meet the needs of this resident safely, and we have to look at moving on to the next level. So we have differences between facilities and levels of care. 
But I think we also have to look at differences in facilities and who pays for what. And I, I think there's a misconception out there that Medicare is going to pay for all of this. So I'll ask you guys, how much of your facility care is paid for by Medicare? None. Zero. None. Zero. And earlier we were talking about a skilled nursing facility where the first 20 days were paid for by Medicare. And then after that, there was a bit of cost sharing between Medicare mm-hmm. and either private payment or uh, private a supplemental insurance mm-hmm. policy. So when we're talking about this coming out, does that mean it's all coming out of private pockets? Someone's got to write a check? Or how, do, how, does, how, does, how does this get paid for? And where does Medicaid fit into all of this? So f- for us at Spring Arbor, we are totally private pay. We're, it means the... We do not accept Medicaid. We do work with long-term care insurances. And at Cambridge Hills, we have long-term care insurance, private pay, and we also have Medicaid beds, which is a state-funded assistance for people who can't afford to, um, to pay privately. So let's take a little eye on the private pay scenario. So again, just as I mentioned before, based on my experience, you look at one assisted living, you've looked at one. The payment structures for individuals paying privately, either via long-term care insurance or directly out of their pocket with green dollar bills coming on out. Um, you know, some of them, from what I've understood, it's sort of been an all-inclusive package. Like you, you know, you hop on a cruise ship and everything is just for one fee a month and then others there seems to be depending on what you need the price changes is that are are either one of you familiar with that and sort of what the philosophy is behind that because you know I I just heard Matt talking a little bit about people aging in place so in some ways I can imagine that changing fee structure depending on needs would make sense to help cover some of the folks that are a little heavier care but then I could also see maybe if you charge a little bit more for an all-inclusive maybe that would make sense too so how does this work in your communities so at cambridge hills we are all inclusive we um there's not a fee per service um it's just all one flat rate and um so no matter how much or little care i need i just pay that one fee that is correct yes and how about you matt how does that work so for us as spring arbor we have an assessment which determines what level of care you at so as well as your room rate, you pay a level of care. Okay. So, and both of you have mentioned aging in place. And another question I know families often have is when they make a move, they're kind of hoping their loved one can stay. Do both of your organizations allow end-of-life care, hospice, palliative care in your buildings to allow that end for our loved one? Yes, we do. You do as well? We do. And we do as well. Our guests this evening are Lisa Ridge. She's the health care director at Cambridge Hills Assisted Living in Pittsburgh. And we're also speaking with Matt Cross, the executive director of Spring Arbor of Cary. And we will continue our conversation on assisted living in just a bit. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. You can find more about them at transitionslifecare.org. Quick break and back. News Radio 680 WPTF. News Radio 680 WPTF, you are listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. You can find more about them at transitionslifecare.org. I'm Jason Kong, Nicole Bruno, and Cooper Linton alongside me, scaring the guests during the break with their uh, bizarre banter. But, you know, that's just par for the course. It's, that's par for the course. Nicole's got a frown on her face now that I said that. Uh, so I'll, I'm, I'm sure I'll hear about that later. But more importantly, our guest this evening, we've got Lisa Ridge. She's the 
Healthcare Director of Cambridge Hills Assisted Living in Pittsburgh, and Matt Cross, the Executive Director of Spring Arbor of Cary. And again, we're talking all about assisted living, Cooper. And uh, you know, we've, we're we're running out of time here on the show, so we need to figure out. Just you know, we've talked about preparation, but what do you do? You know, when, when you come to the conclusion, hey, we've got to uh, visit an assisted living facility. Where do you go from there? Well, I think one of the things we have to understand is that all assisted livings are not alike. And I think there's a bit of a misconception that says, okay, these are all licensed in the state, and therefore there's a cookie cutter, and these things are stamped out across the entire state. And the reality is there's a minimum set of standards by the state, but these facilities all have their own personality, their own traits, their own areas of expertise. And and what we'd like to do for the next few minutes is really use both of you guys as guests to help us illuminate kind of what those differences might be. So, Lisa, would you mind kind of sharing with us what the admission process is like for you guys? How does somebody get in? And also, what is it about Cambridge Hills that's different, that's unique? Um, And help people begin to see the personality of different facilities. Okay. So... Um, We are a 90-bed facility. 38 of those beds are licensed for memory care beds. Um, And what does that mean? uh, That means people that have dementia, that might have some safety concerns where they might wander or they might, um, they just have safety concerns or they might need more one-on-one assistance. They are in um, our memory care. Our memory care requires more staffing. It requires specialized activities. Um, and we have, um, it's 38, 38-bed 38 memory care bars. So what else is going on there? You've got a memory care unit. Is, is it locked? It is. It oh, is it's locked. locked. Yes. So if I have a loved one with dementia issues I, if, and they're in there, it's pretty low likelihood they're going to wander off, unlike my home, where they may just wander out in the yard. Absolutely, if they're going to wander off. So we have people that might get admitted into our assisted living side, and then for one reason or another, they wander out or they're a wander potential. Then um, we talk to their families about moving into the um, dementia unit or the memory care unit. Yes. So hearing locked, that's sometimes kind of a scary thing for the lay person to hear. And I, and I want people to understand, you know, I've been to many different um, assisted living communities, and this is not a prison, you know, literally people can still be outside, usually have enclosed patios. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not a feeling like they are, you know, kept away from the rest of the world. And it's usually a very home-like setting, lots of individualized attention, special programming. So, you know, for those listening, I just want you to understand that, you know, this is just all more about safety versus, Mm -hmm. you know, keeping people away from being able to interact with other people in the community. Yep, that's correct. So, um, like I said, we're a 90-bed facility, 38-er memory care. Um, <clears throat> we are owned by a husband and wife. We are not, we are not corporate-owned. Um, and So, it's family-owned and operated. Are they local? Are uh, they local? Yes. Yes, they are. Mm-hmm. And they own, there is a small independent living in Pittsburgh as well that they own. And you guys do accept Medicaid, right? We we do. We and if someone Medicaid. if someone's coming onto your services and they need, uh, they're paying out of their own pocket, and then they reach a point that they need to go on Medicaid, can they stay with you guys? Oh, absolutely. Yes, yes. People convert from private pay to Medicaid, and we keep them. Yes. All right, Matt. Could you kind of give us a similar perspective of what's going on at, at Spring Arbor of, of Cary? Yep. 
At Spring Arbor of Cary, we are an 80-bed facility, 40 for assisted living, and our assisted living is more apartment-like style complex. And then we have 40 beds for our memory care. We have two cottages, 20 beds each, um, giving a small, intimate feeling for the people with memory care. Um, it also does have a courtyard. People are allowed to come and go, but it is secure. Um, so they have the ability to move around. Correct. But, it, but you're not worried about them walking out into traffic. No, no that is correct. And go from there. And the process, just so everybody understands, whether you're coming into assisted living or memory care, um, the admission process requires an FL2. An, is, I'm sorry, an FL1? FL2, okay. Um, it, it is a form that is a snapshot of your loved one. Talks about the diagnosis, about what the doctor feels is the needs. It will list all the medications, whether they're over-the-counters or whether they're prescription, whether they're supplements or whether they're vitamins. Everything has to be listed and signed by the doctor. Then there's an assessment process where we go out and we do an assessment on the individual to make sure that we can meet the needs and the person is a good fit for the community. And I think it's so, so important for those listening. Um, I, I think sometimes people are just so desperate because they're ready as caregivers. They're burned out. They're ready for their loved one finally to move into an assisted living community, to be honest. Because you know what? If you say that your loved one is a certain way and then they get admitted and you know they have some behaviors that put them at risk to themselves or others, then you just created a situation where your loved one is then going to have to be moved again. And that's not helpful to anyone. And, and I think, you know, if, if you're listening, the people that you're going to be working with are so experienced in really helping some of these things that seem insurmountable to you, that they have ways to make it a workable solution. But honesty, we used to say when we were growing up, honesty is the best policy. It is the best policy when trying to admit your loved one in a, in a long-term care community. Yes, by all means. And also that includes diagnosis. Because different diagnoses mean different things to us. And we have to make sure that we can meet all those diagnoses. I think some people are just afraid if they paint a real accurate, in-depth picture, that what that means is you're not going to take them. And, and now they're, they have this fear that you're, they're not going to, right, they've mm-hmm. got to talk you into accepting their loved one. I don't mean you in particular, Matt, yeah. but the system, if you will. And in reality, we are prepared to handle very complex cases, but we need to know what they are going into it. That is correct. What else? What else is on your mind, Matt? About um, I just want to um, kind of mention out there to folks this evening that um, we are seeing a much more complex person coming into the assisted living arena than what we saw ten years ago. So, when people come in now, they are further along um, in their aging process. There's a lot more comorbidities or different diagnoses, and Oftentimes, people think that an assisted living can do skill set settings. Yeah, absolutely. Matt, thank you so much for joining You're us welcome. this evening. We really appreciate it. Lisa as well, we appreciate you spending some time with us. Lisa Ridge, Healthcare Director at Cambridge Hills Assisted Living in Pittsburgh, and Matt Cross, the Executive Director of Spring Arbor of Cary. Uh, Lisa, real quick, if, if people want to get a hold of Cambridge Hills Assisted Living, how do, how do folks go about doing that? Well, our phone number is 919-545-9573. And Matt, how do folks get a hold of Spring Arbor of Cary? Our phone number is 919-388-9635.
Excellent. Excellent. And uh, if you missed any of that information, feel free to download the show from WPTF.com in the Aging Matters section. A quick break and back. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care on News Radio 680 WPTF. News Radio 680 WPTF, you are listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. You can find more about them at transitionslifecare.org. Jason Kong here, Nicole Bruno right there, Cooper Linton over here, and uh, lady and gentlemen, we are uh, uh, in our final segment of the show here. And I, I think, Nicole, you mentioned that some congratulations are in order for uh, Mr. Linton over here. Yes, indeed. I understand that you have some amazing news related to the expansion of the hospice home. We are very pleased that not only did we get it built and the town of Cary saw fit to give us a certificate of occupancy, uh, but the state has certified and licensed that building. And so we are uh, now permitted to put those beds into use in the very near future in our hospice home staff who are just incredible people uh, do amazing work night and day weekends holidays they're just an amazing group of folks uh, are getting ready to be able to put those beds into use for our community we're extraordinarily excited about it and the feedback we get from families about that facility is impressive you know the the number one place people want to be is at home mm-hmm. but that building is there when home just is not an option where the medical needs of that patient are so high that it's really this home, the hospice home, or, or going back into a hospital. And most people just don't want to be in a hospital uh, if they can help it. They've spent a lot of time there already, and the hospitals are awesome. But the hospice home really serves a different type of patient. And uh, we've been able to add some components to the building that we think will enhance the care and make it easier to handle patients that are even sicker than the ones we've treated for the last uh, eight or 10 years. I think one of the other special things that Transitions Life Care does, and I don't think you get enough props for this, is in the way that you treat your veterans. And I know we're coming upon the month of November, and I know you have a huge number of Veterans Day events. Talk to us a little bit about that. We do. We actually do this a couple times uh, during the year, but we have a partnership with the National Hospice and Palliative Care Organization uh, called We Honor Veterans, and it's that simple. We want to recognize that's veterans. special too, though. It, it is special. It is. It is. I don't want to. I don't want to in any way minimize it. When you look at the percentage of people who are veterans who are dying, uh, we often forget that these people who are eighty-five years old, ninety years old, and we still some have some that are between ninety-five and a hundred World War II vets that are still mm-hmm. out there. They gave an incredible amount, many, many years ago, uh, gave an incredible amount of their life. They lost friends. Many of them were wounded. Uh, but they've carried that veteran role in their life for the rest of their life. And the studies are showing that these patients often experience end of life differently than mm-hmm. non-veterans. So we've trained our staff to... Uh, do an assessment of veterans early on, determine what things we can do to help and help them at end of life, prepare families for things that they may never have seen. True. And, you know, throwing my social worker hat back on, I do that occasionally during the show. I have worked with dozens and dozens of veterans at end of life when they've had life limiting illnesses such as Alzheimer's and 
a lot of these folks have traumas and experiences that they have truly locked away in a box deep within inside themselves that come out. And, you know, sometimes they are just looking to tell their story to someone. And I'm quite sure a lot of your staff are those ears sometimes. Sometimes they're looking for forgiveness. They have such guilt. And it really takes a very special ear. And I, I really want to encourage everybody listening who has a veteran in their lives that sometimes these holidays that come up, they tend to bring up feelings for some of these folks. And you really need to think about that and give them some unconditional love and empathy during these times because some of these people have really been through some very, very difficult situations. Absolutely. And we're really now dealing with veterans uh, of the wars in the Middle East at this point. Mm -hmm. Uh, When we see that those veterans were serving in the 1990s, uh, some of them more recent than that, and yet they are being diagnosed with terminal illnesses. And we need to deal with that. Their families are struggling to deal with these things. And the We Honor Veterans Program allows us to embrace those patients and embrace their families with an expertise that is, one, obviously honoring, but the other is that it truly understands the unique needs of veterans, many of which may relive some of those experiences um, just as a natural process of dying. Their mind goes life back review. to that. It is a life mm-hmm. review piece. And mm-hmm. I remember sitting with a veteran at one point who thought he was back in the South Pacific. Mm-hmm. This was a World War II veteran, and he thought he was back. Uh, we assume it was New Guinea. Mm-hmm. We were trying to piece that together with the family. But it was uh, an amazing um, experience for the family to understand what he'd gone through. Talk to me a little bit about the special pinning ceremony. What is that? Well, the pinning ceremonies are an honoring ceremony for veterans. And I think part of the beauty of it is done by voluntary, by volunteers with Transitions Life Care who are military veterans themselves. So they come in and um, recognize that veteran present them um, with a certificate of appreciation, but then there's a pinning ceremony where they, are, um, where they receive a pin in recognition of their, uh, of their service. Uh, and it's a great experience for families who have never seen their loved one honored before. But mm-hmm. amazingly, we have had veterans that uh, said this was the first time that they had ever been mm-hmm. honored or, or uh, recognized for their service. And wow. to me, it's amazing that someone's 70, 80 years old, mm-hmm. and this is the first time somebody said, you know, thank you. And I bet you'll see a lot of that with the upcoming Vietnam vets as well. Cause they and, and we're came seeing those. And, yeah. We're absolutely seeing that. You're mm-hmm. absolutely right, Nicole. Those veterans from the Vietnam War came back, you know, not as the heroes of World yeah. War II mm-hmm. um, or even the champions of the Korean War, but they came back to a very disturbed uh, social setting in the United States at that point, and many of them uh, melted back into civilian life and tried to put the Vietnam experience behind them, and may have mm-hmm. until now, and they're facing end of life, and it comes back. My own father was a Vietnam vet, and he came back and literally decided he was just going to drive a tractor trailer across the country for two years, and that's basically how he recovered from it, because again, there really wasn't that support that we have now right. for the vets coming back. We didn't talk about PTSD. Nope. We didn't have these programs. You know, we the term shell shock were used, mm-hmm. um, uh, the thousand yard stare, all these phrases that were passed mm-hmm. around, which were really indications of people who had been traumatized that were trying to readjust uh, and they needed medical assistance. Unfortunately, that medical assistance and science didn't exist right. then. 
Mm-hmm. And it does now. And we can not only do things better in the treatment of veterans post-war, but through the We Honor Veterans Program, we're able to do things for veterans at the end of their life as well. Yeah, that's a, a really neat opportunity. Uh, and I'm, I'm so glad to hear that you guys are doing that because that sounds like a, such a special event. There are hospices across the entire United States that are doing that. So, and it's not just one event. You do dozens We do multiple of them. Yeah. We do them on Veterans Day. Uh, we do them on Memorial Day. Uh, we also recognize family members because, you know, th- this is a family event. Um, and we recognize veterans throughout the entire year because – well, it's not always the timing is not always right for Veterans Day. Yeah. Well, speaking of events, we've uh, wrapped up the caregiver yes. summits for the year, and and you're going to make me talk about 2018 already, aren't you? Already. You we're, know, we're can, just can I just have a moment? No, never, 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 never. No, no moment ever. Just the, well, there's no rest for caregivers, so we got to keep we <laughs> got right. to keep it work. You are the example. <laughs> oh my goodness, yes. Yeah. So we are looking at 2018, and we have listened. Um, so many people have asked us year after year, can't we have more of these? Can't we? Can't you do it twice a year? And we yeah, really, come on, Nicole. <laughs> well, we're not exactly doing more of these, but we have actually ex- uh, sort of spread out when we're doing them so that really there's going to be multiple offerings throughout the Triangle area in 2018. So we'll be doing an event in June, uh, which is going to be new this year at the Sheraton Imperial. We're going to do another beautiful location, beautiful location, still another Durham address, still that's right. accessible there, but. And then another one uh, back again at the Friday Center in August. And then it's kind of switching things around. We're going to be at the McKimmon Center in Raleigh, actually at the very tail end of October. And then we're going to continue on in Harnett County at the beginning of October. So we are really excited to be able to do this again for the community next year. We'll be back. That's great. And again, you know, we'll be talking about this uh, very, very soon. So uh, please stick around and always catch Aging Matters. And we'll have updates uh, throughout the year as we, uh, we gear up to put Nicole to work to get these uh, extra events and uh, more spread out events going. But we are just about out of time. want to thank everyone uh, for listening this evening. On behalf of Nicole Bruno and Cooper Linton, I am Jason Kong. Again, thanks for listening. Thanks for joining us. And we hope you'll catch us again next Saturday evening at 7. We've got a great program lined up on breast cancer. We'll hope you, you'll join us then. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care on News Radio 680 WPTF.